What up? This is the Sun Saturday Irish Podcast with Tyler Rojack and Luke Smith. Notre Dame is coming off a bye this week, so there's no game to recap, but still plenty of stuff to talk about from this past week in college football and also a very busy week for Notre Dame recruiting. Notre Dame picked up four commitments for the class of 2021 during the bye week, which bumped Notre Dame way up in team rankings across the board. So we'll talk to friend of the program, Mike Singer, recruiting analyst for Rivals, about everything that transpired last week and what it means for Notre Dame going forward. Before we get to that, though, we'll discuss week 12 of the college football season, and we're going to do our game preview for Friday's game against 25th-ranked North Carolina, which figures to be Notre Dame's biggest challenge of the regular season behind Clemson, obviously. But, Smith, let's start with you. Did anything stand out to you during the bye week? In a week that uh, Notre Dame fell on a bye um you know I, I think i spent the most time watching big 10 football than i have in years and let me tell you uh it sucks there's a reason yeah, I don't not a good weekend to do that <laughs> no um you know one time I, I was riding the bus to school my freshman year of high school and as you pull into woodstock for those not familiar which i don't think maybe five people listening to this will will be familiar but there's this homeless guy bar on the outskirts of town that homeless folks go to after getting kicked out of pads at the church on monday night and so one tuesday i'm on the bus to school it's it's 6 a.m and i look out the bus window and there are just two homeless guys outside this bar just having the saddest fight i've ever seen in my life you know barely even making contact with each other still hammered and that's how I felt watching Northwestern Wisconsin, um, to be honest with you. Uh, people have wanted to give Wisconsin's, or sorry, Northwestern's defense a lot of credit, but the, the reality is is that entire conference is a bunch of Reese Davises playing archaic 1980s <laughs> football. It was gross if they played a Notre Dame or Clemson or hell when they're going to play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, they're going to get blown off the field. Um, the Big Ten is garbage. Don't even get me started about that Rutgers-Michigan game. The the best part about that was just seeing Harbaugh getting torn apart on Twitter and Michigan as a whole. But it's it's bad. They won, though. Which is almost better because it's funnier that they were celebrating beating Rutgers in triple overtime um, than losing that game in Piscataway. But the Big Ten has got to get it figured out. Uh, it's It's bad news, Bears. It was really bad. I was really surprised by the Wisconsin-Northwestern game. I figured Wisconsin would play a lot better than they did. Graham Mertz uh, sort of came back to earth with his three picks, and it just was gross. Bad. Like, back and forth. It was just not exciting. And I think maybe the Indiana-Ohio State game, while it was a really good game— A little misleading. Yeah, it's a little bit misleading, and Ohio State looked pretty vulnerable. I mean, they're yeah. still obviously super talented, but— I mean, when Ty Freifogel, the receiver on IU, just is dusting Sean Wade, Justin Fields throws three picks. I don't know. I, I mean, going into the season, I would have been like absolutely Ohio State, number two best team in the country, but everyone can get scored on. Yeah, and it kind of just shows you the evolution of college football, except in the rest of the Big Ten, as <laughs> Michigan and uh, you know all these other crappy schools show us, but... Um, I will say I, I was pretty happy that DraftKings does not allow you to bet on sporting events that happen in Illinois because I was ready to put a lot on Northwest. I'm sorry, on Wisconsin, um, and I couldn't do that, which was great. But um, unfortunately, I was able to put money on Tulane on Thursday night, and I don't know if you saw that Tulane Tulsa game. I did. I was that might be that. the worst beat I've ever seen. Um, for those not familiar, uh, first off, the spread was. Five and a half. I had it. Some people had it at six. Tulsa was favored. I took the first half under of uh, 27 and a half, and that hit brilliantly. Uh, zero points were scored in the first half. <laughs> but then <laughs> Tulane goes up 14 to nothing most of the game. Um, Tulsa scores 14 7. There's three minutes left, 
and Tulsa. So you're sitting pretty at this. Yeah, point. I'm like okay, it doesn't really matter because I had I had hit five and a half pretty hard, um, but I'd also sprinkled the money line, and and it was to hit a, like finish off a parlay that would have been like a six hundred dollar payout. Wow, look at you. So, <laughs> well, so it's fourteen to seven. Tulsa converts fourth and fifteen and fourth and thirteen. To tie the game at 14. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. As it's happening, though, are you starting to feel it? Like, oh, uh-oh. something, something bad's yeah, a muck. Like the, like the is landslide is coming down. Yes, yeah. but then Tulane goes right down the field, goes up 21-14. There's a minute 48 left, and Tulsa gets the ball back and throws a 50-yard hail mary on fourth and 15 as time expires to send it into overtime. And like, you, you have to be kidding me. Kind of easily too. Yeah. The guy was wide open. It didn't even seem like a Hail Mary. It was like, oh, they just receivers open and they're back. It was corner. just the back of the end zone. Yeah. And so we go into overtime, single overtime happens, you know, both teams trade field goals. And then we get OT number two. And what happens? But Tulane is driving. They're on the third, three yard line, two yard line uh, on third down. And they throw a 98 yard pick six to lose by six. Uh, just like that'll never happen again. Um, I, 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 it just really kind of set the tone for the whole weekend. I did not have a lot of success um, after that. But I, I just, I absolutely hate Tulsa and that stupid guy, Juan Carlos Santana, who was wearing that like puss in boots hat on the sideline after every touchdown. Yeah. I, I was going ballistic and um even by weeks, we found a way to lose for the first time this year. That was uh, that was the biggest loss of this college football season. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. I did not expect us to start with an extensive recap <laughs> of the Tulane Tulsa game. That was kind of cathartic third. for me. I needed to do that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, I understand. If you need to vent and get it out, I get it. That was, that's got to be on the Bad Beats montage. We're taping this, what, at Monday night? So tonight, that'll definitely be on Bad Beats and. uh you can uh, you can watch that again if you really no. want to now that you nope, nope, nope. relived it. It was to the core of the word unbelievable. All right, should we get to North Carolina now? Yeah, let's 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 talk about something productive here. <laughs> I think that was pretty productive. I enjoyed that. But all right, Notre Dame North Carolina line opened at Notre Dame minus five and a half. Depending on where you saw it, I saw it at seven and a half at a couple spots. So I don't know. The line for this fluctuates all over the board. Um, I was looking at Action Network where you can see like the lines from a bunch of different sites and uh, sports books. It was all over the place. Now it's, I think it's at like minus four and a half, but even that you can still see like Notre Dame at as low as minus three and a half, which I don't get is pretty shocking considering Notre Dame's the number two ranked team in the country and North Carolina is 25th. The over under is um, 65 and a half, and I guess 86% of the public money is going to the under. That's also weird. A little too. bit surprising. Yeah considering uh, North Carolina has no defense. But I don't know. It's This seems like it can't be a trap game. You know, like I feel like Notre Dame's up for this. They're coming off a bye. But what's sort of your mood going into this game? It's really strange. And obviously, as we saw today, it's not like there's any COVID cases hiding out there. Notre Dame had zero positive tests this past week. So also shout out to all those guys who said the field storming was going to ruin the season. You're idiots. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but honestly, like how I feel about this game is like, of course, North Carolina does have a very potent offense, but it's just so annoying. Um, I, I was on ESPN earlier. There's a poll asking fans who are the least knowledgeable people on the planet, um, which top ranked team was most likely to get knocked off this weekend. And of course, Notre Dame led the poll with 42% of the vote. Granted, I think, you know, Texas a and playing LSU, Clemson's playing Pitt and, yeah. and Ohio State's 
not playing somebody great either. But uh, Alabama's got Auburn. That that's the only ranked matchup, right? Yeah, other than Notre Dame. And, and if you exactly, and if you look at like the replies, it's like, oh, it's about time of the year that Notre Dame gets exposed. Exposed. They beat the number one team in the country. Like I, I just, it blows my mind how many morons outnumber us. But um, I feel pretty good about it. Um, you know, you give Clark Lee two weeks to prepare for Sam Howell and company. Um, I feel good about it. But but let's get into it a little bit. We mentioned before Carolina. Uh, they lack a defense. However, their offense is pretty damn talented. They're all about big plays. They're first in the country in plays of 10 plus yards per game at 22.6, which is a ton. And they average 43 points a game, which is 10th in the country, but it honestly should be higher because I think like Kent State and Old Dominion, who've only played three games, are one and two. And Sam Howell, He's sort of the leader of this team, leader of this offense. He put up 550 passing yards and six touchdowns in North Carolina's last game, a 59-53 win over Wake Forest. He's a stud. There's a lot of hype around him coming into the season, and while North Carolina's record has been somewhat disappointing, he's been extremely effective. And when Stanford Steve was on, he said, I think Mac Brown is just going to throw it every single play. I don't really understand why he would do that, because their running back, Javante Williams, is quietly having a ridiculously good season. He leads the country in rushing touchdowns, runs for first downs, runs of 10-plus yards, and runs of 15-plus yards, and he leads the country in most missed tackles forced on runs at 62. Second place is Brees Hall with 41. So he's kind of running away with that. And then their backup, Michael Carter, he's rushed for 800 yards too. So I think part of what makes Al so effective is they can really, really run the ball. Now, the biggest thing... UNC has not played a defense anywhere close to Notre Dame's level yet. Um, Notre Dame has the ninth best scoring defense in the country, giving up 16.6 points per game. And remember, these rankings are a little bit weird because teams who haven't played a lot of games are at the top, so it might even be better. And that's also a little inflated after the last two weeks. Yeah, exactly. The best defense based on the best scoring defense North Carolina's played this year is Boston College, and they're ranked 50th nationally. After that, it's Virginia. Syracuse, NC State, all low. And then they lost to Florida State, who is the 114th best scoring defense in the country. So, yes, their offense is really potent. They've got good players. But, like I said, they haven't played a defense of this caliber or anything even close to it. No, you're right. And I I do think that the Javante Williams point is a very important one um, because I've seen some Carolina writers clamoring for him to get more national attention, and it's kind of hard to argue with that, I don't um, know why he doesn't. It's kind of weird. I think it's probably just because people, you know, he's so overshadowed by Sam Howell. Um, but he's had a really great season, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what tactic Notre Dame takes to this. Because as we saw against Clemson, they they really just went ahead and tried to bottle up ETN and, and were quite successful in that. Um, however, you know, Ugalele threw all over the yard around them, most yards of Notre Dame opponents ever thrown against them. I don't know if you can do that against North Carolina with Sam Howell back there. Um, And quite frankly, I don't know that Javante Williams will be as easy to bottle up because Clemson's offensive line just really did not play well against Notre Dame. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see kind of what what scheme Clark Lee brings to the table on on Friday afternoon and and how they go about attacking those two, both passing and, and rushing the ball. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Notre Dame does, especially in the defensive back rotation. Uh, We talked about in the Clemson game, Nick McLeod and uh, Clarence Lewis, CPA, took account of for pretty much all the snaps. 
And then in, in Boston College, Tariq Bracey made it on the field a little bit more. He got eight less snaps than Clarence Lewis. Nick McLeod is clearly the best corner. He had 61. And also the safeties. Houston Griffith and DJ Brown have seen some action um, sparingly, but I expect they'll get a lot more against a potent passing offense like this. But what are your expectations for Notre Dame defense in this one? I think the most important thing, and, and I alluded to this earlier, is that Clark Lee had two weeks to prepare for this North Carolina offense. Um, you got to find a way to limit the big plays. You mentioned they have a bunch of them this year. But I, I really do think that giving Clark Lee two weeks to prepare for anybody um, not named Trevor Lawrence in 2018 um, is just setting up for they're, they're not going to play to the level that they're used to. I feel really good about our ability to get after the quarterback. Howell has taken a number of sacks this year. Um, that pass rush gets there, and he, you know, he's looking for receivers that can get to him. That'll be critical, and, and to do that early in the game. Um, I feel good about uh, us in this ball game defensively. But uh, you know, they're going to get their yards, they're going to get their points. But I, I do believe they'll be below their their season average by quite a bit. Yeah, I think the mantra for Notre Dame's defense in this game is is going to be more about damage control instead of. Uh domination like it's been well I guess they haven't dominated their recent opponents but that's sort of how Notre Dame has been going against teams like other ACC opponents not named Clemson so that's the big on big side of the ball what's going on when Notre Dame has the ball well I feel like I just said this last week but North Carolina can't really stop anybody um anybody no they they (laughs) lost to UVA when UVA was not playing very well UVA is playing better of late but when they lost about a month ago that that was not really when UVA was playing very well also lost to Florida State I I don't really know what else I need to say that game Florida State they didn't look like the Florida State that we know and love in that game they actually lost lost in the first half they played they lost to Florida State and they let up 53 to Wake Forest okay um uh, on the year, they let up 30.8 points per game and, and 5.7 yards per play. Um, the two best offenses they've seen to date statistically, I, I think Virginia Tech fans would probably argue with this after the last couple of weeks, but statistically the best two offenses they've seen are Vatech and UVA. Both put up over 40 on the heels. Um, Virginia Tech averaged 9.94 yards per play, and, and UVA averaged 8.79 that Virginia Tech game was ridiculous. Weird. There, there was like the back and forth there, just refusal to stop anyone was insane. Yeah, very odd. Um, you know, I think that the best player on this on this Tar Heel defense, which has seen some absences due to both injury and opt-outs, is, is Chaz Surratt. Um, I don't know if you remember, his brother Sage last year was a really good receiver at Wake Forest, actually opted out of the season himself. Um, and, you know, other than that, they have Timon Fox, uh end that Notre Dame went after pretty hard actually in, in recruitment but they have a really young secondary um, three D-backs opted out before the season started another safety got kicked off the team early in the year and they've missed Kyler McMichael and Storm Duck which is a hell of a name by the way um, sounds like McMichael is going to play this week and Duck is a game time decision but doesn't seem like those guys will be at 100% and, and really just a great opportunity for a receiving group that's starting to mesh at the right time and play its best football uh, to go against a young secondary. Um, this secondary this year has let up 20 receptions of over 30 yards or more. Um, that's quite a few. And it'll be interesting to see if, if we can kind of continue taking these deep shots um, in terms of running the ball. You know, obviously the Irish are, are going out there with a reshuffled offensive line. You have uh, Z Carell, former top 100 talent, 
um, starting at center in place of Patterson, who's lost for the year. And you have Josh Lugg um, starting in place of, of Tommy Kramer, who had an emergency appendectomy this week. Sounds like he'll be back in a week. Although, I don't know about you, I feel like as a lineman, uh, appendectomy might take a little bit more time than a week. Um, also, why would we play him against Syracuse? Like, I think eighth graders could beat Syracuse. Um, but... Anyways, um, it, it's a really good opportunity because UNC's uh, running defense is, is bad. It's really bad. It's uh, 116th in stuff rate, and they give up almost five yards per carry on first down. Um, you know, it's actually kind of, a, I think, a, a glimpse of what we might see next year. Um, Carell is actually slotted probably to start at center next year, and they're going to move over Patterson to his natural position at guard. Um, so it gives us a little bit you know, of, of a head start. For Carell gets him some action. Um, you know, everything we read says that he plays really mean spirited, which is what we like to see out of our Notre Dame offensive linemen. And, and Josh Lugg has played a lot of football for Notre Dame. Um, he started the last five games of last year, didn't let up a sack on 263 passing attempts, and, and actually earned a, a top 25 grade from PFF, the Notre Dame employee, um, in, in pass protection. They're still on payroll, although they did sort of go against their Notre Dame love affair. They In the list of like best quarterback situations right. in the country, they put Ian Book at 29th. Disrespectful. They uh, they aren't getting paid as much this week from Notre Dame, but continue. True. Um, but, but yeah, um, so, I mean, he's played a lot of games, 32 games, you know, UNC kind of employs a, a hybrid, uh, three, four scheme often use kind of a fake spy, um, which is actually just more of a de- delayed blitz. So it'll be interesting to see how book reacts to that in the scrambling game, which has been really critical the last couple of weeks and in, in getting receivers open and also picking up first downs. But I do expect Notre Dame to be able to run the ball very easily um, and, and hopefully these receivers can keep up their really strong performances this month against the young secondary um, I don't know um, how do you feel we, we kind of match up here I mean this is a big week for O-line U losing two starters this is probably yeah this is probably the biggest challenge Notre Dame's offensive line has faced since they tried to get into uh, the febritosis party at Legacy <laughs> Village back in 2018 when they tried to get past bouncer Jack Orman but, and this time, Kramer's not there to throw <laughs> beer bottles at him. <laughs> yeah, that might be a little bit too inside baseball, but those who know know. All right, I'm really eager to see how Zeke Carell does in his first start because he's young. You're not really used to seeing offensive linemen at Notre Dame get playing time this early unless you're Steve Elmer is the first name that comes to mind. I guess Kramer saw some action early too. But well, he was and a top Patterson recruit. kind of. I guess. I actually, I guess I was a year into it. Yeah, Point like taken. this is Zeke Carell's second year. Yeah. I mean, he has the red shirt, but... Like you mentioned, Lug, Brian Kelly's called him a six man and sort of a Swiss Army knife because he can play um, a bunch of different positions. And he got some time last week against Boston College. I mean, North Carolina can't stop anyone, like at all. And um, if I guess if there's a week where you're going to sort of implement a new line, if it's not Syracuse, like North Carolina's defense isn't that much better. So I, if I had to give a prediction on the offensive side of the ball for Notre Dame, I think franchise is going to have a huge game coming off a. Uh, subpar performance against Boston College where he fumbled and then he got hurt and didn't play a lot. Assuming that he's close to 100%, which we don't know. All things considered, I still think he's going to have a really big game. No, I agree. And and I I think that we might see some more Sebo Flemister. It, it appears that that injury he suffered against Boston College, which first kind of looked serious, was not serious at all. Which doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it did not look good, and he couldn't get off the field, but go I'll figure. take it. But yeah, no, I uh, 
I think this is a really good game for that line to, to find its chemistry together and also just a really good opportunity for Notre Dame to show the, the program, not program, program they've built up um, and just kind of that depth they have along the offensive line. Like if this was to happen at any position, this is probably the one where we can afford a little bit of a hit um, because we just have studs ready to play. Yeah, I would be a lot more concerned if these injuries were happening on the defensive side of the ball because, Mm -hmm. like I said, North Carolina is really potent. And the one thing, I guess, that Notre Dame can't do is they can't make it easier on them at all. They can't turn the ball over against Boston College. The fumbles were unacceptable, but, like, obviously that's going to be the focal point in film and their preparation for this. But, all right, you want to get into score predictions? Yeah, I'm on the high side here, which I have been a lot lately. That's unlike you. <laughs> you, Luke Smith also said, I don't see how Notre Dame loses this game to Clemson. Hey, Did it happen? So far, Did so good. Happen? So far, so good. No, nope. that, That's also, that was a little bit of a flair and whatever, you know, over-exaggeration. <laughs> but uh, that was more of a, like, you know, we're going to win the game. I didn't say we are going to blow them out, but... Uh, actually, I did. I did say it was going to be You said 10. 12 points. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was really dumb. Whatever. Anyways, um, I, I like Notre Dame a lot in this game. I'm going 48-24. Um, I do think UNC will score a little bit of points. But like I said, I, I just don't think this UNC defense is going to be able to stop this surging Irish offense. And, and giving Clark Lee two weeks to prepare for this potent Carolina offense was, was kind of just what the doctor order to limit it. Um, I think in the location where Ian Book made his first career start for an injured Brandon Wimbush three years ago in a 33 to 10 Irish win, he gets uh, victory number 29 as a starter in, in kind of blowout fashion. And uh, listen, I've said this before and I'll say it again, like when the public, you know, all these people are talking about a trap game and, and the lines moving around a bunch, things have seemed to trend well our way. Um, so I expect that to happen again. And uh, if you can get that line at three and a half, four and a half, Definitely take it. Yeah, this is a good way for you to rebound from the Tulane-Tulsa game. But I got Notre Dame 41, North Carolina 31. Um, I expect Notre Dame's defense, they're going to give up some points. North Carolina's going to get some big plays as long as they can limit them. Notre Dame has scored on the first drive of the game in the last four games against Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Clemson. They scored touchdowns, a field goal against Boston College. If they're able to just get on the board early, they don't even need a comfortable lead. If they just have the lead and just play keep away by running the ball and just imposing their will on North Carolina, as long as they don't turn the ball over, Notre Dame is the more talented team overall. Um, Brian Kelly said he considers it equal at the skill positions, maybe, but Notre Dame is just the better team. They have two weeks to prepare. This is the only game left really on the schedule where the team is really has the potential to beat Notre Dame. Fully anticipate they'll come in ready to go. And uh, I think it'll be a, a close game, which honestly I'm kind of excited about. Like I want to see some good games, some good competition, and uh, yeah. maybe we'll get that. And then ultimately Notre Dame just dominates them in the end. Yeah, I mean I'd still like to see them beat the shit out of Carolina this week, but that's to each its own. I'm certainly not going to complain about that. But uh, all right, is that all you got on this game? That's all I got. All right, let's uh, talk some recruiting with Mike Singer. Okay, we got our first recurring guest, Mike Singer, recruiting analyst from Rivals and Blue and Gold Illustrated, is back on the show. He's joining us after a very busy bye week for the Notre Dame coaching staff as they locked in four commitments last week, three of which were from guys who are already committed to other schools. Uh, Notre Dame's class has moved up to number 10 in the Rivals team rankings with just over three weeks until the early signing day on December 16th. But Mike, the first question I have for you is, were you able to get any sleep last week? 
It is. It was crazy week because not only do we have everything going on at blueandgold.com, we still have the Blue and Gold Illustrated magazine. That is the weekly magazine during the football season. I know a lot of our readers will always mention to me, Mike, we grew up on Blue and Gold. And I'm like, yeah, the print, we, we still do it. <laughs> so, yeah, my family has a subscription. I'm like, yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you guys then. Yeah, we're, we're still going strong um, with, with our magazine. But yeah, it was uh, quite the, the crazy week. You had last Monday, Philip Riley, four-star defensive back, uh, currently plays in Central Florida, but he's from the state of Washington. He flipped from USC. And of course, in September, he flipped um, from Notre Dame to USC. So he's a recommitment. I believe he's the fifth um, uh, since Brian Kelly's been Notre Dame's head coach and second in this class, Deion Colsey uh, decommitted from Notre Dame and, and then uh, recommitted seven months later. Next day, Joshua Bryan, kicker, flips from Colorado to Notre Dame. Kahanu Kia commits on Thursday. And then a few hours later, Caleb Johnson, offensive tackle, flips from Auburn to Notre Dame. So, yeah, it was a, it was a busy week. And it just seemed like, um, you know, every couple hours you had something new happen. And Blake Fisher's hinting at something on Twitter or some news. So it, it was crazy, but I, I love it. You know, I live for this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and now of those four commitments last week, was there one that really surprised you at all? My answer to these questions are always yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. So like, you know, in the week leading up to it, no, doesn't really surprise you. You start to, the, the writing's mostly on the wall. Um, but I mean, you know, Philip Riley, flipping from uh, Notre Dame to USC. If you would have told me it would have been like five weeks later, he would have already known, yeah, I'm going back to Notre Dame. I've been like, really? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, recruiting's just crazy, uh, you know. Uh, but yeah, surprise. Yeah, it, it's a yes to no thing. Like when Jonathan Dewar said in a press conference that he was going to come back for uh, another year, um, it, 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 thanks to the you know NCAA giving an extra year of eligibility I wouldn't have expected Notre Dame to take a kicker in this class but you know here we are so it's always a yes and a no for for surprise commitments sometimes it's just a huge yes though sometimes it's a it's a huge no Uh, like there's some 2022s uh, that Notre Dame offered last week if Donovan Heinish the younger brother of Kurt or Alex Bauman the young brother of Kevin Notre Dame players if if those two kids commit to Notre Dame will not be a surprise at all yeah, Notre Dame recruiting is definitely accustomed to some big surprises. The first one that comes to mind is uh, Deontay Greenberry when he just flipped to Houston on, on signing day. So I think fans are used to it, but you mentioned Philip Riley. I was pretty surprised, although you mentioned an article that he had done pretty much everything but publicly announced his commitment back to Notre Dame. What transpired that led him to commit to USC and, and then recommit to Notre Dame? So I was actually under the impression, I didn't even actually um, know this until I talked to Philip um, just a few days before recording this. He had never even been to USC. I thought he had maybe went there in 2018 or 19 or something, because again, he's from the Pacific Northwest. So I figured maybe he did some kind of like seven on seven tournament in Los Angeles and stopped by USC, never been to USC. So um, well, let's, let's, let's go back in April. He's considered a Virginia tech lean. And then a lot of people assumed he was going to go to Washington because that's the, the, the previous local school for him. He still has a ton of family uh, in Washington. He commits to Notre Dame out of the blue. That one, I will say I was shocked. The day before, um, I was told that it was starting to look good. But then when he committed, 
it was not one of those situations where I had articles ready and, you know, already, you know, talked to them beforehand and all that good stuff, which is most of commitments. That one, I was at my sister-in-law's birthday party and Philip Riley commits to Notre Dame and literally said, oh, and then dropped an expletive and ran to my laptop. Sorry, it's your 21st birthday, but nope, I got to work. So, um, yeah, so he's committed for four months. Everything's going well. And then out of the blue, it seemed, I know his decommitment surprised the Notre Dame staff. Um, and he flips to USC and, and what he basically said to me and um, also the South Bend Tribune was that he had just had a lot of negative things in his ear about Notre Dame. Uh, I don't know how much of that was from the USC side. He also said it was just different people on Twitter and um, people he knows personally. So he gets just negative information about Notre Dame, um, especially regarding diversity and, and race relations and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he flips to USC um, and then Notre Dame, again, was surprised and never stopped. They didn't just say, okay, you flipped, like, good luck to you. Um, Clark Lee did a fantastic job. Brian Pulling, the recruiting coordinator, cornerbacks coach Mike Mickens, all did a really good job. Um, staying on Philip Riley. And then it, it really didn't take that long for like all the reasons he committed to Notre Dame were still there. And then just some of those things he was unsure of Notre Dame look presented him with, look, here's what we did at the Juneteenth rally. Here's the diversity international diversity, even on our campus. So um, he, so look, he, he's just getting information from people. It's just all words. He's not able to like go see any of this in person because of the dead period. Uh, because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Well, he went up to Notre Dame Halloween weekend, of course, can't see the coaches, can't get into the facilities, but talked to a lot of people, really smart kid. Even before he committed, he was doing a lot of, he would just hit up students on Instagram, just slide in the DMs and be like, hey, um, tell me about Notre Dame. Like, what do you think about being a student here? So um, he got to do that now in person. He got to see Notre Dame, talk to those kids. So, um, and then it was just a matter of time before he would um, flip back uh, to Notre Dame. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, the Joshua Bryan recruitment is also interesting because he's the number one rated kicker in the country and apparently always wanted to go to Notre Dame, but was told there wasn't a scholarship available to him, so he committed to Colorado. So when you couple that with the John Doerr announcement, how was Notre Dame able to free up a scholarship and flip his commitment? This is a very good question, Luke. So what I will say is that coaches are like wizards when it comes to this scholarship stuff, like the 85 number, it's like, you know, the, the Notre Dame football junkies who like are on my blue and gold.com message board. They're like, Oh no, it's like, we're ending in August. We're at 89 scholarships. How are we ever going to get down to 85? Like, Nope, it's never a problem. It always works itself out. Um, and uh, you know, 25 scholarships in a class. Well, you gotta, you, you gotta think that early enrollees count towards the previous class. It's, it's again, it's just, these coaches are wizards like with, with how they work these numbers out so the question here how, how did they free up a scholarship I'll just leave it at Notre Dame staff really knows what they're doing there's a lot of creative things that they can do that are um, completely within the um, the NCAA rules so Josh Bryan well here's what I'll say Josh Bryan is going to be on scholarship at Notre Dame as a kicker what made him commit to Colorado if if he was already leaning Notre Dame and that's where he always wanted to end up Sure. Yeah. So he had a spot. We'll just use the word scholarship. Spot. So he had a scholarship spot at Colorado, um, didn't at Notre Dame. He was talking to both, commits to Colorado in August. 
a week later, Coach Pullian hits him up and basically says, hey, I think this is going to be able to work out with you. Um, but nothing was super imminent at that time with, with Brian having a spot at Notre Dame. Um, so he just continues contact. What I love about this Notre Dame staff, and I've said this many times, is that they're so honest and upfront um, and respectful to these kids. Um, there's, there's not only a lot of car salesman stuff. It's, it's very upfront and honest approach. And that really worked well with Brian and his folks. So he even visited in late August. He did. I, I don't think he had the scholarship opportunity at that point, but he still wanted to, uh, even though he's committed to Colorado, he wanted to get out to South Bend, see Notre Dame, get around campus. And then the opportunity did come in October. And then it was just like a week or two later that, you know, he, he knew you know, as soon as he got that opportunity, he knew he was going to flip to to Notre Dame. It was more or less a placeholder with Colorado. He, he liked the buffs. Don't get me wrong, but you know, he, he, he wanted to go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame also landed uh, another commitment from a Hawaii prospect in this cycle, this time from three-star linebacker Kahanu Kia. Uh, he went to the same high school as Manti Teo and Robbie Toma. So my first question here is, like, how the hell is Notre Dame able to convince so many players from Hawaii to come to South Bend? Because those two places could not be more different. Yeah, does Brian Polian have like a permanent residence on the island at this point? <laughs> It's actually something funny that Kia told me because the he so he was on campus for the November seventh weekend. Um, I want to say he got in Thursday night. Um, he was in Utah. There was a there was a football camp in Utah. Of course, why he's not playing uh, football this fall? So he went to this camp in Utah, um, visited the Utes campus. His dad played there, so Notre Dame beat out his dad's alma mater in that recruitment. And then I think he had a reconnecting flight in Texas and then North Carolina and then uh, South. It was like a crazy travel day for him. But he gets in Thursday, leaves Sunday. So I talked to him Sunday. He was in the airport, um, you know, uh, right before he was flying back out to Los Angeles. And he told me that it felt like Hawaii. I was like, really? What? But the what? weather, the, the <laughs> oh, weather oh, yeah. that's true. That weather the that weekend weather was perfect. Was, yeah. yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean, I think if like whatever the coldest day is in Hawaii, it was probably uh, what what South Bend was, uh, and it, it was beautiful that weekend. So does he know that that that's actually the outlier? Did someone <laughs> tell him that? <laughs> I mean, he, he anyone with an internet connection can figure out what what South Bend would would be like in January, February, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I would say the big thing is um, the Polynesian culture is so strong. So once you get a couple of these guys, you can keep building on it. It's like a snowball effect. So now that you have Kahanu Kia in there, you have Jordan Patelho the year before, or I should say in the 2020 cycle last year, um, you, you just, that, that just keeps building. Um, and you're able to get even more of those kids because it's such a tight-knit community down there um, that everyone knows everyone, especially in high school football. Um, so there's – look, I'll give you an example of this. There's a 2022 defensive end named Teva Tafiti. He's teammates with Kia. Notre Dame's offered him, and I already think he might be leading Notre Dame because he knows all these guys on Notre Dame's team. And, and my entire tale, and Robbie Toma, guys you mentioned, and there's certainly others. So, um, yeah, the Hawaiian pipeline there is pretty awesome. All right, so what can you tell us about Kia as a prospect and his outlook once he steps on campus? Yeah, so one thing you have to mention is he's planning to take a Mormon mission trip, which is two years. Um, so he, he's going to get to Notre Dame next summer, and then he's going to spend a year. 
And then, and I would assume it would be summer of 2022, his plan is to take a two-year Mormon mission and then come back in 2024 as like a 21-year-old um, junior or, or, or something like that. Uh, or soft, excuse me, sophomore. So he's going to be an old, old sophomore, uh, pretty much me when I was in college, but that's besides the point. Um, I don't, I, I always wonder, like, that's what Manti said he was going yeah. to do and he did right, So that's what I'm kind of yeah. wondering. Um, but either way, um, he, he's, he, I think he's a really good prospect. Uh, his recruitment came down to Utah, Stanford, um, Notre Dame and UCLA, um, and he's ranked as a three-star per rivals, but man, you watch his tape and what I keep calling him is a modern day linebacker. He can come off the edge. He's great in coverage out in the flats. Um, Buck, Mike, Rover, Viper, like he can play really any of these spots with um, how well he moves, how smart he is, his size, his athleticism. So um, Clark Lee and what he's doing um, with this Notre Dame defense, you, you keep hearing the word versatility. Um, guys who can play multiple stop, spots and are super athletic, that's Kahanu Kia. He, he fits that mold really well. So Notre Dame didn't really need a second linebacker in this class, but Kahanu Kia was too good for them to pass up. Um, now another big name in the mix is is Kelvin Gilliam, uh, four-star D lineman out of Virginia. Rivals has him ranked as the 79th best player nationally and, and fourth at his position. Gave a verbal commitment to Oklahoma back in August, but lately has seemingly been pretty open and, and honest about his interest in Notre Dame. Um, from your perspective, how talented is he as a player, and, and how would you assess Notre Dame's chances of flipping him? Yeah, he's listed as a defensive tackle, 6'4", 260. But he, if he doesn't get too much bigger, he could be like a big, um, that strong side end, uh, like an Adeo okay. Gandiji or Cream. So he, um, you know, if he stays uh, at that, you know, 260 to 270 range. I think he could be a really uh, good end who can slide inside. So no, it doesn't matter really because he's going to be a really good freaking football player uh, at the next level. Um, and in terms of where Notre Dame sits with him, I think as we're recording this, I think it's about 50, 50. Um, and also while recording this, I think he's, he should be soon or if not already be on a call with Brian Kelly um, and the staff, Mike Elson, those guys. So um, I, I think Notre Dame has a really good shot to pull off this flip, um, but he's got a teammate committed to Oklahoma, DeMond Harmon, a cornerback. I know they're very close, but the thing that's really helping Notre Dame here is that he hasn't been, we talked okay, we talk about this Philip Riley. He hadn't been to Notre Dame or USC. Well, here's Kelvin Gilliam. He hasn't been to Notre Dame or Oklahoma. So none of the, like all these kids are making decisions between schools and they haven't been to either of them. That's uh, just 2020 for you. So um, you know, young man in Richmond, Virginia, it's tough to get out to either place right now. So, um, he's actually looking to get to both. Well, I mean, look, signing day is like three weeks away. This could be one that he, he decides in the next week, it might stretch into close to national signing day. He might even say, you know what, I need more time and wait until February to sign that. Yeah. That normal signing period that we're all used to. Um, so, this, this is one where, like, I've got the Twitter notifications turned on. So if Kelvin tweets, it's coming to my phone. Like, I, I'm not going to be caught off guard with this one because I could see him pop in, you know, in five minutes. I could see it wait until February. Like, I, he he's he even told me he's just feeling this thing out. So when, when you hear that from a kid, you, you're pretty much on alert for anything could happen here. Yeah, I don't blame him. It's an especially weird 
recruiting cycle considering the fact that these guys can't visit um, and some of these guys aren't even playing high school football this season you mentioned Kia there's no um, football in Hawaii I know Tyler Buckner um, there's no high school football in California at least in the fall they push it to the spring but of the guys who were able to play football this fall which Notre Dame commit improved his stock the most or maybe just impressed you even more than before yeah, there's a number of guys. I think Mitchell Evans, he's someone at 6'7", 240, who's looked really good at quarterback, and he's expected to come to Notre Dame as a tight end, but I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up playing tackle with that size. Quarterback to tackle. Yeah, exactly. You're going <laughs> to tell me Jeff Quinn's not fired up about that? That's <laughs> random as hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 6'7", 240, he looked like Big Ben out there, and he counted for 31 touchdowns in seven games. Um, during the senior season. Yeah. Prince Colley's the other one. I mean, with what he was able to do at running back, of course, he's going to come in uh, to South Bend as a linebacker. But I mean, he put up huge numbers on um, that running back. He's probably going to win Mr. Tennessee um, and the Gatorade Player of the Year award in that state for what he is able to do on both sides of the ball. Also racked up 100 plus tackles. Um, certainly want to mention Lorenzo Styles. So every Monday at bloomandgold.com during the football season, I post this article called Commit Tracker, and it's like got all the stats and tweets about, you know, what, whatever highlights of these guys playing the previous Friday night. Well, Lorenzo, um, there's no really stats to be found. Um, so he drops his uh, highlight tape this week for a senior season. And you're just like, oh, holy crap. Like, because uh, I would only be able to get stats here and there if like a, a the Columbus dispatch or something like had his stats or um, see some tweets here and there of him scoring a, a punt return or kickoff return touchdown. And then you just see it all together in one senior highlight tape. Uh, the kid looks bigger than when I saw him last year. Um, he's fast. I think he's a day one punt returner. Um, I mean, uh, Matt Slorano's done a, a fine job fair catching back there, but Lorenzo Styles can do that and take it to the house here and there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that he's going to be a really good receiver. But if Notre Dame needs a corner, he could be his upside might be even better at corner safety. That's interesting, and certainly love to hear the news in terms of, of punt returning. Um, would like to see some return every now and then. Um, now, you know, we also talked about the guys who obviously were not able to play this fall. Woj mentioned California pushed all high school sports to the spring this year, and it wouldn't be a recruiting discussion if we didn't bring up Tyler Buckner, who's you know probably the the most known name in this class among the general fan base. So I got to ask, you know, what has he been doing over the past few months to make up for losing valuable experience? Um, yeah, even Virginia, Kelvin Gilliam, they're not even playing high school football yeah. either. Chicago's not. I mean, there's there's right. about a third of Notre Dame's 2021 commits um, that aren't even playing this fall. Yeah, in terms of Buckner, uh, I'll, I'll ask you this, Luke. What would you want Tyler to be doing right now? Whatever your answer is, I can guarantee you that's what he's doing. Well, that's fair. Um, and playing? I, I don't, I don't, yeah, playing. Besides <laughs> could he that. go to another state and playing? I don't think he's doing that. <laughs> All right, that's an answer I didn't think of. But, yeah, I mean, he's 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 grinding uh, in the film room. He's getting after it. I mean, he's um, he, he played receiver and safety his freshman year. He gets hurt on the fourth play, tears his ACL, fourth play of his sophomore year. Accounts for 81 touchdowns his junior year, and then you don't have a senior year. So he's got one-year starting experience at quarterback at the high school level playing against – what I would compare probably eighth graders in my home state of Georgia. So, uh, and that's just a total guess on my part. I don't know if that's accurate, but 
Um, so you're, you're just kind of, if you're Tyler, you got to throw as much football as you can. You have to study as much football as you can while also acing every course um, at Helix Charter in San Diego. So that's, I mean, I, I don't have some like really neat answer other than right. I just think he's getting after it as much as he possibly can, given his situation. USC's quarterback commit, Jake Garcia, did move from um, SoCal to Georgia, and he's playing here in the Atlanta area. Um, so that's, I mean, some kids have done that. I, I know that Tyler looked at all of these different options, like literally him and his family sat down and looked at all the different things they could have done, which includes skipping early enrollment um, and playing a senior season. Like, would that have been better than, um, you know, in, in, enrolling early in, in, in 15 spring practices? Like all these options were looked at and uh, between the Buckner family and Notre Dame staff, you know, they, they definitely kind of decided on enrolling early and, and staying put in San Diego. Got it. Now, would you say that, you know, not being able to play actual games this year, does, does that effectively eliminate any chance he has of being the starting quarterback for Notre Dame next year? Yeah, Brian Kelly's press conference today, he said that. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously can't answer that question. I have no idea. I mean, that's such a like a, a what if question but I, sure. I i know what you're getting at um so you want to know my opinion and, yeah, and mine yes. is um it, it it does i would say it hurts like that you, that's how many passing attempts is he now missing out right. on that again he didn't have as a sophomore um and he it wasn't like he was playing jv ball as a freshman he's starting at receiver and safety um so yeah i think it it has to hurt I I I don't I don't if if someone has an argument otherwise I I would assume it's Tyler's just head and shoulders most talented guy and that will prove itself um and maybe that still is the case but does it hurt the chances in my opinion yes it it does I think one of the biggest surprises from this past week is I thought I, I guess maybe I was just wrong here in thinking that Notre Dame, at least in this class, was sort of close to their limit. And you mentioned how uh, the coaching staff is sort of wizards when it comes to finding scholarships. So, how many more players do you expect Notre Dame to take in this class, and who are the prospects Notre Dame is really making a push for here at the end? Yeah, you and me both. You and me both, Woj. That's I was I was under the impression it was going to be around eighteen to maybe twenty-one. Well, here we are with they have twenty-three commitments. Um, part of it is since August, I think they've had four or five guys leave the football program. So that's like part of it. Like you have players that I'm sure a couple Notre Dame thought might be leaving a couple they weren't expecting. So, you know, that, that, that should be taken in consideration. I always say scholarship numbers are super fluid. I always get asked about how many more can we take? What are we looking at for this spot? And I give my best answer, but it's always fluid. Things always change. Um, but if you follow recruiting much, you read my stuff at blueandgold.com, you know that there's one guy in the class I'm not expecting to sign with Notre Dame. So let's just say there's 22 um, in the class. And like you mentioned, the whole wizardry thing with the, with the coaching staff, they can, um, you know, I mean, look, even with Kahanu Kia, I'm not 100% sure how his thing works. If he does take the mission, he comes off the scholarship book. So um, for those two years until he comes mm-hmm. back. So. And there's a lot of different things to consider and um, with, with that, but I, I, so I would think that they're going to get to like, if you go on national signing day, which I believe is December 16th, 
um, you're going to see 24, 25 signees. Um, and the remaining guys who you really need to know are Gilliam, who we talked about, Donovan Edwards from West Bloomfield, Michigan, top 100 player, um, most casual Notre Dame fans who just followed recruiting a little bit even know about that young man. Um, so Notre Dame really wants to take Edwards, but if not Edwards, you have Byron Cardwell running back from San Diego, a New Jersey running back, Audrey Gestamy, who the Irish are looking at. So definitely look for Notre Dame to take another running back, especially after Jafar Armstrong moves to wide receiver and Jameer Smith leaves the football team. So there's the names to know at running back. Um, certainly, I think it, it, it could be Kelvin Gilliam or bust for another defensive lineman in this class. And Notre Dame certainly wants to take another defensive back. Uh, two names to know right now, Jojo Johnson, in-state kid, um, 5'11", 170 pounds, picked up an offer from Notre Dame November 22nd. I put a future oh, wow. cast pick in for him to land at Notre Dame. It just kind of seems like a no-brainer. I'm expecting that one potentially Thanksgiving week. And then Sierra Wright from Los Angeles. He, he's hoping to come to town in December. And he was uh, he visited Notre Dame last December for the Echoes Award Show weekend as well. So um, that's that's kind of the rundown of the spots. So looking at one more running back, um, zero to one more defensive linemen, and then zero to two potentially more defensive backs. Um, so if Jojo Johnson commits, they'll certainly still take a spot for, for Sierra, right. Um, if, if he wants in. So, um, yeah, so again, 24, maybe 25, but you know, you just got to take it into consideration that, that the coaching staff, like it, it's all of a sudden this big class, like, well, like it, it in, in all reality, like for the scholarship crunchingness of it, like the Notre Dame staff is able to work things out. Something I've been curious about, and, and you mentioned earlier Kia being on campus for the Clemson weekend, and, and I think there were actually a total of five recruits on campus that weekend. But at the same time, you're, you're kind of working in the middle of a recruiting dead period. So I'm just wondering, how does that work? Um, what Were those recruits just doing that all on their own? Was that more of an unofficial type visit or, or kind of what, what was the gist of what was going on there? Yeah. So if me, you, and Tyler went to Notre Dame right now, we could just kind of walk around campus. We wouldn't, you know, maybe walk into some academic, I don't know. Like we wouldn't really be able to do a whole lot, just kind of get around campus, go into the bookstore. That's really all the recruits can do. Whatever the general public can do, that's what the recruits can do. So a coach can say, hey, we really want you to come to campus, but it's it's not, it's not like they can't do anything with recruits. I I, I even wonder if like, recruit like walks by <laughs> can you like wave to the coach in the window like that's kind of what I'm wondering but um I, yeah I mean I guess they could be on like FaceTime together and the coaches you know at his house or something like that that might be as much contact as you, you they could get but they can't get into the goo they can't get into all the facilities they can't go in like they nothing they they can just walk around campus and, and go eat and um you've had a ton of kids go and do this too um some of the kids who were on campus for the Clemson game, you had Kia, um, you had Langston Patterson as a 2022 linebacker from Nashville. He was actually in the game. Yeah. Um, I thought I saw that. <laughs> yeah. He, it wasn't an usher deal. He didn't steal one of the ushers outfits. He, um, his brother plays for Clemson. So he was ah, able to get a Clemson go. family ticket. Um, so 
Um, and then there was a few commits, uh, Blake Fisher, Mitchell Evans, and Justin Walters were on campus, Jaden Thomas as well from Georgia. So, yeah, I mean, they can't watch the game inside Notre Dame Stadium. Like some of those commits were just like with, with some friends watching at their apartment or at a restaurant or something. So, yeah, it, it's pretty low key. Um, when, when these kids go on campus, but they still get a lot out of it and learn a lot. So that's good to hear. All right. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at rivals underscore singer and subscribe to blue and gold illustrated. So you can read all of Mike's great work and have access to all of their Notre Dame coverage as well. Mike, we appreciate the time as always. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. First recurring guest. You guys heard it right. It's an honor. And that was Mike singer. First recurring guest. Really always love hearing his insight. Um, I got to say the story about Kia from Hawaii, just really saying Notre Dame reminded him of Hawaii in that 70 degree weather. I got to say what it reminded me of, and, and only a handful of people uh, will, will understand this, but a former Notre Dame recruiting staffer who now um, is an assistant coach at a Big Ten power, um, he may have parlayed the Irish's way into Dexter Williams by maybe not being as truthful about what the weather looks like um, in South Bend in the winter. And uh, Dexter Williams had a had a pretty rough first winter. I remember walking by the grotto, and he was in the group, and he was referring how the guy lied to him and told him it never snowed in South Bend. Um, so let's hope somebody's a little bit uh, more forthright with, with Kia, but uh did remind me of that story, which is always a good one. Yeah, saying that South Bend reminds me of why, I, it just makes me question, like how he was able to get in. Yeah. I, okay. I'm glad you said it, not me, but yes. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But that, that was just, I don't know. It was a ridiculous statement. And it just sort of on that note, um, like, I, I don't know if there's that many places where it snows more than South Bend. No, it's the lake effect. Yeah. We get the lake effect. And there was that one snowstorm. It was the winter. 2018 that was horrible my car was covered for four days yeah 15 inches of snow in one night like that's insane yeah um it sucks it's it's terrible and i thank god you know those students kind of got a luck uh this year they don't have to go back to south bend until february so hopefully that's they true. get to avoid that january snow and maybe they'll get a vaccine by then but i don't know it's not like hawaii i don't know what that guy was thinking but uh, i'm glad we got him <laughs> that's true all right that wraps things up for this week's episode of Sun Saturday Irish. Uh, Luke and I will be back next Tuesday to recap the North Carolina game. Until then, we wish you guys a very happy and safe Thanksgiving. Talk to you soon.